Yeah, Isaac is um, one of our presenters at Kind of Sound, and I was privileged to have an hour with him yesterday to be enlightened by his interesting background and what a spiritual man he is, and I felt very, very inadequate listening to him. Um, but he's got a soulmate in Addy who's, who's uh, going to do the astrology, so I'm sure there'll be some good interaction there. So, yes, interesting man indeed, and he, uh, born June the 30th, 1950. Uh, Pennsylvania, Allentown, and uh, interesting time those early years, um, Isaac. And we'll talk about those in a minute. I think probably we'll go into um, uh, Addy's astrology on that on that date and some banter between the two of you on on that because I know that's something you're into as well. So over to you, Addy from Bulgaria. Hi everyone. Hello. Hi Addy. Isaac. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Whatever I say is not going to be surprising for you. But I think it's going to be surprising for the people who don't know you. Excuse my accent, but I I feel a little bit uncomfortable because whatever I say, I think it's not going to be enough to describe the universe that you're holding inside you. Oh, okay. So. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to be um, not, uh, you know, I'm going to be short. But uh, you are born on 30th of June, 1950. Is that okay to, to say? Yeah. Oh, it is yeah, okay. absolutely. It is beautiful. <laughs> and um, when I'm speaking about um, your astrology sign and um, the effect on, on you, of, you know, the universe, it's like I'm speaking about myself. It's going to be, it's going to be something really um, similar to what I feel, what I am, because we have only two days difference between your birthday and my birthday. It's a little bit different, of course, but... Uh, you're, you're born in the same year, Addie. Uh, no. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, but, but we're both Cancerians. Well, I didn't know that. Welcome to the yes. club. <laughs> yes. So, um, there is a very strange, um, how to say... Uh, thing because uh, in general your, your birthday uh, is on 30th it, it gives you a number three uh, which is quite um, um, challenging number let's say but then uh, overall uh, your, your number is six which is very interesting uh, for me it was mm -hmm. and then uh, on the Chinese you have the tiger you are the tiger animal and the Chinese astrology which is also very uh, interesting thing. So uh, let's let's try and put these things together. 
overall, you are a very emotional person, but uh, at the same time, you're a very energetic person and very artistic person. Um, always open to new challenges, always open to something new. And what is good, it's that you're so intuitive and you can just foresee things that will come, that will happen in the near future or even further. That's very interesting because not uh, many people have that. Um, you also are kind of person that do not like, um, you actually more dislike routine, if that's correct. Uh, okay. Could you say that a different way? I uh, probably could. <laughs> <laughs> if my vocabulary was, was good enough. Okay. <laughs> so it means you're always searching challenges. You, you always challenge yourself. You're challenging your intellect. You're challenging all the time your, uh, you know, um, your inner world in uh, so many different ways. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, one uh, very interesting thing, money often comes to you very easily. And that's kind of uh, with not too much effort, probably due to your talents and abilities. So... Um, um, sometime to interactions with the, the right people, I don't know, probably, um, <laughs> then uh, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> I, I, I wish the money would come easier, though. I mean, I, 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 I think, anyway, I'll just let you roll. But, you know, some, it, sometimes it's been fee, sometimes it's been famine. But, you know, I've never been without. Mm, yes. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, the other thing that uh, was very interesting for me, it's uh, overall, okay, we, we all have the moon uh, as our planet, but the other planet that you probably affecting you, uh, it's Venus. And that's quite contradictory. Is that the correct word? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it seems to me. Um, generally, you're loved by all your friends and you love to entertain them. And um, <laughs> yes, that's what I see. Um, um, the other thing I wanted to bring here, um, you have in general that deep affinity to music actually from your number six. That was very interesting to me yeah. to find out about you. Uh, you're also very romantic and a very sentimental person, if that's correct. True, true. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, sorry? He easily falls in love, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, are you? Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, the Venus actually represents the feminine essence and the compassion that you hold inside you. Mm. I think it comes from the Venus planet to you. Um, in general, uh, you have that ability to recharge yourself when you withdraw from the world. Is that correct? That is uh, an essential, essential thing that I don't always, I'm good at paying attention to, um, mm. you know, because of, you know, as you know, looking at the chart, the Capricorn moon, it's sort of the sense of responsibility. So I don't give myself a break much, but mm -hmm. it's, some, it's something that I reap huge rewards 
uh, if I follow it and do it, if I, if I take that solitude. Mm. And um, if the number three is giving you that sense that you want to live on the edge, then the number six suggests that you need to learn to bring the balance and you don't have to overwork yourself and you don't have to push yourself to the, the, to the far limit. Um, it means you don't have to get exhausted. Um, you have to be more mindful to save your energy. Sometimes you're giving too much. Okay. That makes sense, definitely. Definitely. Okay, so um, what else? What else? Um, um, I think I'm I'm almost done here because it's quite short, short um, uh, astrology profile that I'm I'm doing normally. Yeah. <laughs> wow, it, it was very, very, very well done. I mean, for a snapshot, it's very, very accurate. Thank you, Addy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the colors. I forgot the colors. So oh, the okay. The suggested colors for you are normally gray, blue, orange, and white. And uh, the, uh, the suggested uh, colors to avoid are actually gold and silver. That's what that's what brought me. Like, yeah. Well, I've always had an affinity for blue and 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 grays. And what's the other one? White. Mm. White and orange. Orange. I love orange. Yeah, and if yes, I can't, these aren't the suggested. Yeah, no, I. Mm. Um, but avoiding gold and silver—that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I, I was also <laughs> very amused by that. Yeah. Okay. Over thank to you. you. Yeah, I thank I, you. I think, I think we'll see from uh, from the program later on. He probably knows more about astrology than most astrologists, so it's very. Uh, very into to, to that, I think, as part of uh, Isaac's life. So, yeah, and um, you touched on his music, Addy, his passion for music, and that starts his childhood, really. His um, parents, um, both into music, uh, classic. His, his dad was into classical, I believe, and as I remember, your mum was jazz, uh, Isaac. Yeah, she really liked the, the, the swing jazz from the 30s and the 40s. And, um, and, but luckily, both my parents shared a common interest in in like Broadway musicals and shows and stuff like that. So, um, you know, and well, here's, you know, the nut nutshell of it is that they met in a record store. My, my mother worked in a record store in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and my dad kept coming in every week to see what the new classical music releases were. And that's how they met. Right. You, you were a bit of a patch of disappointment. You were, you were a bit of a late developer into music, I think. And, uh, I've got animals. House of the Rising Sun was uh, <laughs> yeah. When I was sixteen, sixteen years old, uh, or fifteen, excuse me. When I was fifteen, um, I was always into classical. I was always listening to classical music as a, as a child growing up on a farm in Pennsylvania, which made me kind of strange to my friends because I sometimes got so excited about something I discovered in my dad's collection that I'd force them to sit down and listen to it. <laughs> and they'd, be like, they'd look at each other like he's gone crazy. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't really into pop music or rock and roll at all until I heard that song in the summer of 65, House of the Rising Sun which is an old blues song from the Mississippi Delta that the animals redid. Yeah, and was that the time your dad bought you that tinny guitar from the pawn shop? It was, it was autumn. It was after that, that vacation in, uh, in 
New Jersey at the at the shore that he came home one day in September October I don't know when it was um, with this junky cowboy guitar <laughs> it was it was it was pitiful it really was I think he was trying to see is is he really serious you know I'm not going to spend a lot of money on this and if he wants um, and then it was the following spring when in '66 that I said to my dad I want an electric guitar I want to learn how to play I want to be in a band and he said, oh, well, great. I can help you out with that. And I thought he was going to buy me one. <laughs> and no, he didn't. He took me to visit um, a friend of his who was the general manager of an amusement park in Allentown and introduced me to to, to Bob Orr and said, this, this is my friend Bob, and, and he's going to help you get that electric guitar. And I had a summer job at this amusement park. <laughs> and that's how I got my first Fender a guitar and a Vox amplifier, and I was playing in bands that following winter. That's, That's lovely. What, what, yeah, you were 16, 17, was it? Yeah, 16, that? yeah, 16 that year. I turned 17. Um, I really was getting seriously into bands in my junior year in high school, so that was age 17, yeah. That was the time of the Vietnam War, and you're, you're apprehensive about being possibly called up for that. Yeah, 67, 68 were very tense years because that was just when I was graduating high school and becoming eligible to be drafted. Uh, so 67, of course, everybody remembers the flower power summer of 67 and the Haight-Ashbury era in San Francisco and all these great bands from the West Coast showed up in the charts like Jefferson Airplane with White Rabbit and um, uh, The Grateful Dead and Buffalo Springfield and members, a couple of members from that band ended up in Crosby, Stills and Nash. So you, you got, there was a real revolution going on, the hippie revolution, the love revolution, the, the, the you know, the, the rise in LSD use, mescaline, experimental uh, communities, uh, communes. And at the same time, the, the Vietnam War was raging, the civil rights movement was raging. Um, 68 was a very, very tough year, the year I graduated, because the spring of that year before my graduation was, uh, of course, Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated in June, Martin Luther King in, in April, um, and then all the riots. And it was difficult because that they started holding the draft in 66, and the lower your number, the more likely you were going to get called up and then sent over to Vietnam. And 68 was when my number uh, was low enough that they sent me an invitation to go get a pre-induction physical. And my parent, my mom was freaking out. My dad was angry as all get out. He was very much against the war. And then he, um, he said, if you do get uh, accepted or inducted, then I'm going to send you to Canada. You know, you're going to basically dodge the draft. You're going to get out of here. And uh, I had my first, how should we say, spiritual intervention in the, res in the wake of that, because I went to the pre-induction physical, spent the whole day walking around getting tested, poked and prodded. <laughs> and, uh, and at the end of the day, we were all exhausted because uh, we had to go get there early in the morning in Allentown, take a bus to a place 60 miles away for this, this, day of, this ordeal. And uh, at the end of that day, um, you know, at the same time, I was trying to get into college to be able to get out of the draft, to be avoid the draft. I was trying to get into college, and I was accepted. I got accepted to Philadelphia College of Arts, so that was kind of a little bit of a, a breathing room. But nonetheless, I had to go up for the induction, pre-induction physical. And at the end of the day, I'm sitting there, and they send send everybody you know, in the room. They passed around this piece of paper. It's basically to test your loyalty 
you know, if there was any doubt as to your loyalty to the United States and the United States government, you could not be called up. Um, and it basically listed 30 organizations on the piece of paper that uh, were considered subversive to the government of the United States. Uh, and they wanted to know whether you had been a member, your parents or any of your family had been members of any of these groups, whether you donated money. And um, I, I, I sat there completely exhausted, wondering, what do I do with this? And a light bulb went off in my head and a voice whispered in my ear and I started putting little asterisks beside every one of these organizations. And at the bottom, I wrote, an asterisk, and I put beside it, I plead the Fifth Amendment, which is in the Constitution of the US. You cannot say anything that would incriminate yourself. And I was immediately detained and given passes for hotel and meal tickets and interviewed by military intelligence officers the next morning uh, and made to sign a statement, which basically didn't really incriminate myself or anybody else. Uh, it was rather contradictory. And three weeks later, I got reclassified that I would only be able to be called up in the case of a national emergency. So that's how I was kept out of Vietnam, by uh, not my own wiles, I don't think. I had to help with that. <laughs> I mean, um, Adi touched on uh, money, and you've never been particularly money-driven. I know it's efficiency, but... Um, never been rich either. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could have been if you chose to go down that route. But you went to college and that wasn't going to be your fortune because you pulled out and must have been a disappointment to your mom and dad after Yeah, my mother, I think, had this thing about me becoming a, uh, an artist and I was really into art before, well, I guess about the same time as music, but she kind of pushed me more in the art direction through my single digit years, through my youth. And I ended up taking a lot of periods of art in junior and senior here in high school and majoring in that. So I ended up in a fine arts college, one of the best in the nation. And I was disappointed with the whole academic side of it. And, and I had some personal setbacks, let's just say that, uh, living there and being there in, in Philadelphia. So um, in 69, uh, was the year, the summer of Woodstock. <laughs> and I was very caught up in music all of a sudden again. And I ended, ended up the following January, I left and moved back to Allentown and just got a day job and started, um, started up in a band again, playing lead guitar this time, not rhythm, and also managed another band that had some friends in it or one friend in it. And I uh, was very busy, you know, for the next few years just doing that. My mom went, yeah, my mom was more disappointed. My dad, not so much. He, he basically, he basically, I think, saw part of himself in there that in me that was really kind of the adventurer and wanted to try new things and didn't want to like do the conventional stuff of going to college, getting a degree, getting married, getting the, the, the little white house with the picket fence and two car garage. Yes, but um, Isaac, don't you think that your mom sensed you 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 basically got um, endless imagination, so so um, maybe she sensed that, and that uh, was something good that happened to develop even more. Well, um, I, I I definitely gave her a lot of ammunition because I started <laughs> I started at age five, started sketching things. I, I had a little sketch pad, and I started sketching things, and sometimes I'd make up entire landscapes and scenes yeah. from nowhere out of my imagination. 
Yeah. So I yeah. was very ardently a sketcher and a, a watercolor painter when I was, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old. And she enrolled me in a, in a private art school when I was nine, which I went to for a year. Um, then I lost interest in that. She tried to see if I wanted to take piano lessons. I didn't want piano lessons. So it wasn't mm. until the, until the, I heard an electric guitar, I was really excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Music is a different language. It's Absolutely. a cosmic language, isn't it? Well, that's something that another astrologer saw in me back in, in 1995. He said, well, with Mars and Neptune in Libra, it's, it's very musical and Jupiter in Pisces. And he said, you know, it's like, it's beautiful. The Neptune is this beautiful, melodic, uh, atmospheric, and, you know, kind of like in very spiritual. But the Mars, he says, that's like listening to a Jimi Hendrix album. You know, it's like, it's it's strong it's powerful uh, another astrologer said it's sort of like you've got this thing inside of you that's like celtic blues it's very atmospheric and very emotional and very sensitive but it's also very strong very powerful i kind of I, I agree with both aspects you know because for a long time i've envisioned creating dance music that sounds like pink floyd <laughs> no yeah can we come into your first uh, piece of music now isaac and why you chose it uh, yeah, um, if you're going to play the Pink Floyd piece, yeah, definitely. Um, I've been a fan of Pink Floyd ever since the first time I ever heard their album Saucer Full of Secrets in 1966. And I've uh, seen them. I think I've seen them more than any other band on the planet. I've seen them, been to seven concerts of Pink Floyd over their entire career. Um, they just speak to me, I, 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 and especially David Gilmore's guitar playing. Um, but I picked this song, which was actually from the post Roger Water eras when he left, the bass player left. Um, and David Gilmore wrote the song, Learning to Fly, which was very spiritual. Uh, if you really read the lyrics, it's very much about astral travel or other dimensions. Um, and uh, the one line in the, in the verse or the chorus that, that really struck me uh, as a feeling I've had ever since childhood was I'm just a, a, um, a starstruck misfit, you know, on earth or something like that. Earthbound misfit. I'm just an earthbound misfit. Um, and so that's why I picked this one. I've, I have I thousands of favorite songs, but this is the one that's felt. Yeah. Right. And I think we'll, we'll touch on your spirituality, uh, after this uh, program, after this uh, song, because that's, uh, that's your, your thing, and it's fascinating to learn that yesterday. So yeah, let's uh, Django. Have you got that ready? Just an earthbound 
Thanks, Isaac, for that selection. I think we can all imagine you reliving those moments. Absolutely. In, in, uh, yeah. Your spiritual uh, path has been phenomenal, and we'll come on to that and uh, shortly. But I think there's a few questions, Janga, coming in for, for Isaac. If I can start. Yeah. With my own question. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, yes, I'm using the position I have at the moment. Okay, so... I am very curious, Isaac. Um, as people cannot escape their nature, that's more than obvious, and nothing happens by accident. Do you think or feel, maybe more feel, um, do, do you feel your mission here on Earth is to reveal to others how to live in harmony with their own um, cosmically predetermined nature that's my question that is that's a stunning question and i have to say a resounding yes to that <laughs> i i think with within that i would also feel yeah that one of the things that i have i don't know if accomplish is the right word but actually assisted other people in doing in my healing work over over a few decades now, maybe all my life actually, uh, is to accept themselves as they are, um, mm. to 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 lay down their their conditioned or or mind created concepts of themselves or the ones that their 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 culture placed on them. Because I know mm. I'd want to be free, right? And that's that's been 
the feeling of freedom is that, you know, it's like in the lyrics of that song, you know, uh, there's nothing, no feeling to compare with this, a feeling of bliss. Um, the bliss comes with the fact that you've come back home to yourself. You come back to your natural state. Yes. And if I may um, just add a few words for everyone who doesn't know what language Isaac speaks, I'm going to try to, to and explain the language that Isaac speaks uh, naturally that's given to him and that's the language of music. And for all the people uh, who listen to Kind of Sound Radio now, um, I just want to say every musical note has a cosmical meaning. So if we say Do, that means Dominus, and that means God. If we say Re, that's Rerum, and that's the matter, that all the, all the matters around the universe. And Me, it means Miraculum which is the miracle of the universe. And fa, the note, the musical note, fa, means familias planetarium, which is the solar system. Sol, that's the solis and the sun. And la is lactea via, the Milky Way. And si, siderae, that's the sky. So that's the language that Isaac speaks so fluently. Oh. And people listen to him. You, you have a lot that you're going to learn from him. Oh, thank you, Addy. I've never heard that before, and that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I, I want to have you write that to me later so I can I can study it. I definitely will. Yes. Thank you. With joy. Thanks, Gorgeous. Django, is there any other questions for uh, for Isaac? Alrighty. Well, uh, first off, there is a message from Shelley, who is Isaac's partner. Um, All right. She sent me a mail she says Isaac is one of the kindest warmest and most loving people I know he has a deep and compassionate heart that you can see and hear most when he is providing his spiritual mentoring to clients and mm -hmm. when you hear him speak with friends who are going through challenging times he is someone that I would describe as an old soul his knowledge of us astrology often enables him to see what is happening and is happening below the surface of a situation for a person or event in the wider world. I myself have benefited many times from his ability to open my eyes to the deeper context beyond the immediate challenging issue that has presented itself in my life. Often it is very comforting to hear his, to hear that deeper context. He is also very playful and creative, which comes through when he creates and plays music and also puts together his radio shows. So yeah, that was a message from Shelley. Wow. I'm, 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 I'm feeling a bit verklempt. <laughs> very, very touched. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good one. Shelley, you met in 2011 over a cup of tears, I remember. Yeah, brilliant. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, that's 10 years ago now. So. Yeah. 10 years ago this July. Yep. Wow. Yeah, so she suggested a question to ask you was about the well-known bands you've seen live over the years, which that sounds like a question I would ask. Who said that? Who, who's question? She suggested it. Shelley suggested Oh, well-known band I'd seen over the years. Bands. Oh, gosh bands well 
In recent times, not so much. Um, did say James Bay in Cambridge a few years back. Uh, he's not a band, but you know he had his band. <laughs> James Bay is a solo artist. Um, I'd say the the band, the most recent band I've seen while living here in the UK is uh, Jethro Tull, who is all in Port Perthshire, not far from his farm. Wow. He, he and the band performed in Perthshire in the in the Perth uh, Civic Centre. Um, astonishing concert. That's Absolutely cool. amazing. Played all the favorites from all the albums, uh, especially Aqualung and uh, Thick as a Brick. But yeah, that was a stunning concert. But that was the last time I've been to a full-on rock concert. Um, uh, but I was, I was, I went to so many bands, saw so many bands, so many great acts over my lifetime that we would be here for way too long talking about. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want that time here because I've got a sh- two more pages of notes here, and then yeah, it, yeah. It passions um spirituality and yeah uh, well, there's a just, question relating to that here as well oh um, good. good first well short well, question here a message from giles have you thought about doing spiritual bedtime stories for kids uh not really but i will talk to giles and juliet about it yeah, I'd consider talking to that. Well, interesting, Shelley's got her own ideas about a late night radio show for me that's that's for adults. So, you know, why not children too? <laughs> but not late night, obviously. <laughs> I'm imagining yeah, I'm imagining parents googling the the reader of their incredible bedtime story and finding something very different. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I don't have to use my real name. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right. Question yeah. from Joe. Dear Isaac. Do you believe that there's a divine creator responsible for the mind-blowing astronomical expanse and its astrological correlations? If so, how do you relate to and communicate with it? Much love, Joe. Wow. Um, I believe that the divine intelligence or the presence is at the core of all things everywhere all at once in simultaneity there's you know beyond time space or our concepts of it um i think the archetypes that jung talk about is also the foundation for what we would consider ancient astrology and even modern astrology so i think those qualities uh of the all that is exist within both astronomy and celestial mechanics uh i.e quantum physics and astrology but because of the nature of consciousness, it's both reflective and projective. So what happens in astrology is both influencing us and we are influencing it. And I, that, that's, the, that's the trick here. It's like, that's the trick of the mirror. Um, and so spirit or God or goddess or creator, however you wanna think about that source, whatever name you want to put on it is in sort of a a self-exploratory process of which it is both aware and unaware at the same time and the exploratory process is the only way i find out who i am is through who i am not and and famous astrologer jeffrey wolf green once once posited that the the the, the two polarities that drive soul evolution is between the desire the overwhelming desire to join back into the oneness with everything and at the same time wants to individuate completely and find out what it is 
as opposed to that idea of being part of everything. So, well, that's Joe, sweet. there's no, there's no easy answer to that question except to say, yeah, <laughs> it's there. It's in it's in all of it. And you know, what kind of cosmic experience can we have? Well, there have been times when astrology has really opened my eyes to something, whether it be about myself or what's going on on the planet. And I'd be sitting there with my my palm to my forehead, going, I had no idea. You know, and it, it, you know, you get the chills, you get you get the the revelation, or you just feel floored. And you go that in that moment when time space stops and you're in that space that place it feels like the hand of spirit has come in and said you know shook you up a little bit and gotten you out of your thinking mode and then you can actually experience the truth of what it is that you have been shown i say okay that's a wonderful reply i'm sure joe will be pondering that we've got a very limited amount yeah. of time and we haven't touched on your immense um, career okay. um could you very briefly start with how you first discovered that spiritual um, inclination you had and, and so young and, and how you developed and, and that period of, of, of having these paranormal qualities and it came and it went and you just if you could just run through that life and how you went on to, to, to your own tours and, and you wrote a book. There's just so much in a very short space of time. Can I'm I gonna, leave you to say I'm gonna try to do quick. this in two minutes or less. <laughs> <laughs> okay the first inclination was about age four or five and on this farm you know in pennsylvania looking up the stars and going why am i here and why don't you come get me and get me off of this rock <laughs> it's like i felt like a, i felt like a uh yeah a stranger in a strange land and then you know i was drawn to the sort of the christian or new testament stories and and got involved with that for a while and and then in my late teens, I got uh, was in the, you know, the hippie era, the, the the experimentation with hallucinogens and with reading Aldous Huxley and reading the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Oh, you know, this opened up a whole new vista, and so I explored a lot of alternative uh, spiritual paths during that time: Rosicrucianism, Wicca, um, the, the Edgar Casey materials. Uh, you know, mystical Christianity. Rosicrucianism is one of them, and and. I have these experiences that that weren't really, you know, they weren't cultivated. They weren't caused to happen by anything particularly that I was doing. Uh, yes, I was meditating. I was experimenting with meditation. I was experimenting with things like that, um, but not consistently because the world, you know, you have the your life in the world, and and so careers or jobs or relationships, inter, you know, interrupt those phases. And uh, but it wasn't until I was forty four or forty, yeah, forty three and a half. I had this major upheaval, this major awakening, a Kundalini awakening, which some people think, you know, no, I go to Kundalini yoga class for 20 years or study with a Kundalini master and I'm going to have this amazing opening. Well, sometimes it works and sometimes it backfires. For me, it was completely spontaneous and out of left field. I was not looking for this to happen. I did not ask for it. So one can say, well, you're not taking responsibility for your reality and your experience. But I also think that like Joe's question, there is a predetermination at the soul level. The soul has chosen this particular moment or this particular experience in that moment. And you don't, as an ego, as a persona, you can fight against it all you want, but it's going to happen nonetheless. So a lot of um, my experiences have not been ones that I sought but I think they were just part of my natural unfolding and development as a person or as a soul. And 
Um, you know, the experiences are something that are amazing, but if we focus too much on the experience, we lose the essence of what the, the, the journey is about and we can become attached to those, those phenomenological moments. Um, and they, it isn't helpful to become too attached to them because then you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, well, there's nothing better than this, right? There's nothing else that's going to happen that's going to come. And so if, if anybody listening to this uh, wonders about all of my amazing spiritual experiences, I'll tell you, they come and go, you know, and you have to let go of them or you can't make room for something completely unexpected to happen again. Mm, that, that led you into all sorts of stuff, like you were touring, you were quite a celebrity, um, traveling yeah. all over over the States. Well, that's because that the, that phenomena called channeling happened to me with, you know, I, I say happened to me, happened with me, uh, again, one of those unsought um, jobs and uh, and became for me like the introduction or the entrance into the whole new age world and um, so I was channeling what purportedly was a uh, an intelligence or part of the cosmic intelligence crew called Archangel Ariel um, and there were other beings or entities or points of consciousness that were participating in that later on uh, that started really up in Sedona in 1998 and in short order I had a following <laughs> which was a bit scary uh, and was putting out newsletters and touring around North America and doing workshops and being on radio and working with you know you know facilitating workshops working with private clients uh, both in person and over the phone uh, we didn't have zoom back then and then um, I got invited to go to Hawaii and um, out of the blue, out of one of those amazing experiences, I had an interaction with a pair of dolphins in Edmonton, Alberta in, in 2001, uh, shortly after 9-11 happened. And they seriously communicated with me after the, the, the audience laughed because for this dolphin show and this, this dolphinarium, uh, both of these dolphins kept coming around in a circle and rising to the surface and spraying me with a mist of water out of their blowholes couple of times oh I wrote about this in my newsletter like wasn't this great <laughs> a few days later I got an email from this woman who had been taking people out on dolphin swim seminars in Hawaii for 14 years and said you know they were sending you a big message I need to talk to you <laughs> and I said okay and uh, pretty soon I was in Hawaii the following year and the year after that and the year after that doing dolphin swim seminars with with other people and it was absolutely magical absolutely magical and transformative um, that that person wasn't your, your third wife, Lynn, was it? No, no, no. Well, she was along for the third one. Uh, we actually hosted a, a, a seminar there. Well, kind of a loosely done seminar in, in 2004, early 2005, because it involved being there during the time of the migration of the humpback whales coming back to Hawaii from, from Alaska. So we got to see humpback whales out in the boat and listen to their babies talking to their moms underwater on an underwater microphone. Um, incredibly moving experience mm -hmm. um you know I, I i think if we wanted to actually have contact with an alien species while not leaving the planet dolphins and whales would definitely be the in that category then you, you you had those experiences you had that um sort of unwanted fame in america and you, you traveled then you came across to scotland and you left yeah. america and never to return so what happened there well that was because i met Lynn, my third wife, in Hawaii in 2003, and uh, following fall in September 20, 
for uh, 2004, I got was married, living in Scotland, and uh, actually I needed to rest for two years. I re I just rested because of that very hectic schedule for seven eight years, uh, being on the road. I was a bit burned out, um, and then I started working on a book project, uh, which I self-published in 2008 and then a CD project because I built a home recording studio while in Scotland and uh, put out a CD in 2010. I haven't done either since, you know, anything more to date, but I have two book projects in, in, in the, in the uh, woodshed waiting to be worked on and uh, more music will be coming. Uh, definitely. I think one of the shows that uh, the, the double header show I did with David helping can show how interest, uh, strongly interested I am in that style of music, of ambient, meditative music, atmospheric music. Uh, David is uh, quite an inspiration for me and uh, we've become good friends as a result of the interview. We probably should um, have your next piece of music if That'd you can tell great. us about what it, why you chose it please uh, Isaac. And yeah, this song related to the period in life when I was going through the Kundalini awakening. It was the the spring and summer of 1994. I had never, you know, never experienced or heard India before. I think I think a few years before that, yeah, in the 80s when she came out with the Watermark album and the big hit on that was Orinoco Flow. But it wasn't until Shepherd Moons came out and this song was on it, and. Uh, uh, it was very much the story of my time of meeting this person who was a part of a very, very strong part of the Kundalini awakening. It's like how soul, another soul that you've got an agreement with can come along and how should we say, just turn your whole world upside down and open you up to something that you have been waiting for and looking for. And yet in the end, that person doesn't stay in your life and you move on and they move on. And so that's what the song is about. It's called On Your Shore by Enya. Thank you. i 
Sound Radio, the station for a global community. Thanks for that choice in music, Isaac. Um, Inspire everybody on Kind of Sound, that's for sure. Um, I know Addy's got a question for you, um, but before we go into Addy's question, uh, you've got a quotation. Um, reason for that quotation, and what is that quotation? The quotation is by the philosopher Hermann Hesse, the German philosopher. Um, and I think it's, it speaks to me because of the relevance to nature and the relevance to, to, to home or to the idea of home. And for a long time, I kept thinking I was looking outside of myself for the perfect home, the perfect location. I mean, place does, you know, is important. Uh, but I've had restless feet. I've, I've moved so many times in my life. Uh, and you know, I've moved transcontinentally from the east coast of the U.S. to the west coast, and then all the way to Scotland, and then to Ireland, and then to here in England. And so, I have to say, it's um, it's it speaks to me for a lot of reasons, very emotional reasons. And then one day, an astrologer said, "Well, you know, you've got Aries uh, North Node in Aries. Maybe you need to be looking for that home inside of yourself." So the quote goes, "When yeah. we are stricken and cannot bear our lives any longer." then a tree has something to say to us. Be still, be still, look at me. Life is not easy, life is not difficult. These are childish thoughts. Let God speak within you and your thoughts will grow silent. You are anxious because your path leads away from mother and home. But every step and every day you lead, you back again to the mother. 
that's appropriate time. Home is is neither here nor there. Home is within you or home is nowhere at all. That's it. Isaac, you led me exactly to my question. Okay. (laughs) Yes, so so spontaneously. Um, So you reminded me of Maya Angelou and her words. Uh, uh, The words are, people will forget what you did to them and they will forget what you uh, said to them, but they will always remember how you made them feel. So my question uh, in relation to that is, do you feel that you make people feel one with the universe? I think, and how does it feel? I think I help them rediscover that or touch it so it touches them. I don't know how that happens sometimes. I'm just relying completely on the feeling level to what needs to be said in the moment or whether a touch need, needs to happen. I don't I don't script these things. I don't have a system. It's very, very much based on how, how the energy is between me and that other person. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that does happen. You know, I've had people reflect that back to me that I've worked with or, or been friends with, yeah. And how does it feel? Mm. How does it feel? Can, there's a feeling of contentment or a feeling of relaxing into oneself that is the reward you know there's there's nothing better there's nothing better than that feeling of just yeah of just knowing that 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 there's a a change has happened a a difference has happened beautiful thank you Yeah, thank you very much. And you've you've got that radio voice, and and um, probably not many people will know that you've had your own radio station before, and clearly your professional mum, your own studio. Um, you've got you've got you've been a big addition to kind of sound, um, Isaac. And thank you very much for your your professional input uh, into to, into oh, the station. You. It's uh, made us very proud. Well, I'm very very forth. pleased to be part um, of it. Well, I really am. This community is amazing. Thank you, Martha. Uh, um, a couple of things. So, near-death experience. There's, a, there's one in particular that, um, that rocked you a little bit. So, can you yeah, tell us about in, that? When I was, I'm, I'm still foggy as to which year it was, 20 or 21. Um, I think it was when I was 20. At that time, I was back living at home with my parents, working a, a very unpleasant job at a car dealership. I was very unhappy with where I was in my life at the time, and. Um, I think at that point, my ideas of experimenting and looking for expanding consciousness through through drugs or meditation or astral travel and all that kind of like, it took a back seat to where I was. I was in a very tough place. And uh, one day I, I bought what I thought was uh, THC, synthesized THC, which is the, the primary alkaloid in, in marijuana from some stranger I didn't know. I don't remember even how I ran into him. Um, and I thought, well, I'm going to spend the day in this beautiful park in Allentown. I'm going to take this and spend the whole day there and hopefully, you know, have some kind of breakthrough. Well, I got up early that morning, uh, Saturday morning, took it uh, with breakfast and then went down to this beautiful park. And about an hour and a half later, I was feeling not too well and uh, it got progressively worse and I was having huge sweats. I was sweating like I had a huge fever. Uh, I couldn't move very well. Uh, 
um, I was the only point, only person there, fortunately, in this this little place uh, in the big park. And uh, I was laying there on the grass and didn't know what what to do. I couldn't move. I felt nauseous. I felt felt unwell, and I was having trouble breathing. And I thought, I think this is I'm going to die. You know, I'm just this is it. You know, this is my 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 swan song. And all of a sudden, a voice out of the blue said, "Are you okay?" And I went, "Who's that?" And I opened my eyes and lifted my head. I was laying on my back, and there's this young man standing there in a hospital orderly's outfit, no name tag, and I know that the general hospital is at least a three three mile walk away. And he's standing there staring at me very quizzically, and I didn't respond. I said, "No, I don't feel good at all." And he <laughs> leaned over and pulled something out of his pocket, his smock, and he put this pill up in front of my face. He said, did you take one of these? I said, yeah. He says, okay, if you want to live, you will do exactly as I tell you to. And he got me to my feet and started walking me around and telling me to breathe. And then he said, is that your car? I said, yeah, okay, we're leaving. I thought, oh, he's gonna take me to the emergency room and my stomach's gonna get pumped and my parents are gonna find out, da, 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 da. He took me to the local pharmacy he said, wait in the car, came back a few minutes later with a whole bottle of 1,000 milligram vitamin C and drove me right back to the place he found me in this park. Nobody else around. Started force feeding me these, these huge vitamin C tablets and drinking water. I started throwing up all over the place, vomiting everywhere. And he kept saying, okay, take more, take more, take more, drink more water, take more of these. Finally, I was able to keep them I was able to keep them down. I woke up three hours later. I fell asleep. I woke up three hours later. He was gone. So that was my near-death experience. Wow. Amazing. Uh, yeah. I, I think that was definitely an intervention. <laughs> That's right. all I can think of. Guys, we have 20 seconds left. Thank you very much, Isaac. This was very interesting getting to know you. Oh, it's been great. And Hugh, you've been fantastic. And Adi, I can't thank you enough uh, for your, your profile. And thank you, Django. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you. Very much. Yeah, it's been, it's been a real pleasure.